last week, we discovered that our idea of rest is quite different from what the Bible is teaching. Our idea of rest is quite different with God's idea of rest. We show you that the Bible declared that Jesus, declares that Jesus, uh, sorry, declares that God had rested after he created Adam and Eve. And yet Jesus in John 5, 17 seems to have contradicted what the Bible had declared that God had rested from his work. Jesus said to everybody, my father has been working until now, even as I'm working. So is the father working or is the father resting? It would seem like a contradiction and yet, it will only be a contradiction if rest in the eyes of God is doing nothing. A lot of people, when I first started this concept of rest or preaching about rest, a lot of people say, oh, oh we're the church that don't do anything. You know, we are the church who don't do anything. We just sit around all day long, you know, that VeggieTales song, right? They thought we're just like a church. Well, they don't understand. They, well, I guess I didn't articulate it clearly that people understand what I mean by rest because rest is not doing nothing. Everybody say rest is not doing nothing. Then what is it? What does rest look like? What is rest from the perspective of God, from the perspective of eternity, from spiritual perspective? What does it look like? How does rest look like? Well, I tell you what rest is not going to look like or should not look like because there will be people that come to you and say, oh, you know, we, we come, you come to rest in God and then after you, 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 you sign up, you know, all kinds of stress, all kinds of burden. So we'll get, you know, we'll talk about, we'll show you how, what rest look like. But first, I want to clarify what rest does not look like. According to Hebrews chapter 4, the reason God took the Jews out of Egypt was so that they could rest. So, you know, the book of Hebrews is about faith. And in the middle of talking about faith, the author of Hebrews basically just talked about rest. And he said the reason God took the people out of Egypt is so that they could enter into what? His rest. And he wanted to fulfill, yes, he wanted to fulfill all his promises to the Jewish people. The promises he made to Abraham that they will come into the promised land. The promises he made to Abraham that they will come into a place of abundance. Yes, he promised all that. But mostly, he wanted the people of Israel to come to rest. Rest from what? Rest from being bullied. Rest from slavery. Rest from restlessness. Rest from being abused, you know. Rest, rest from heartache and stress and pain and suffering. That's what God wanted him to do is to come to the place of rest. Rest mostly in his presence. I believe today God is calling humanity the same way. He's calling his church the same thing. He's calling us to come out of the yoke of slavery. A place of great anxiety. Just as he had wanted to rescue the Israelites from slavery, from strife, from stress, from heavy burden. God is calling many of us, in fact, He's calling all of us, calling the humanity, who are those who are under tremendous pressure, tremendous yoke and strife and burden. You know, if you don't believe, just go out there and observe people. Go to your work and observe them. I'll tell you, people are under all kinds of stress, not only at work, but stress from home, stress from their finances, mortgages, you know, on different things. All kinds of stress is being laid on them. And you know, politicians, they know that. They're trying to, they're trying to talk about, you know, giving you more money so that you can rest, right? That's why they promise you all kinds of money. All politicians do that. 
right? And worse yet, now these days, not only you have to be worried about your own bills, you have to worry about the world is coming to an end. This called the, you know, the what do you call it? Uh, climate change, you know. And I, I'm not, de- I'm not a denial. I'm not, I'm, you know, let's not get involved in that, right? But I'm just saying this uh, worry and stress that the world is put on us. You know, the other day I was watching this um, UN thing and, and this young girl, right? Man, she was passionate, but she was stressful. She's 16 year old, for goodness sake. And she's worried about the end of the world? I mean, what are we doing to our children these days? God is calling many of us who are under tremendous burden and yoke of the worldly system to come into rest. You see, like those precious Israelites in the days of Egypt, many of us are living under the same condition. The time, by the time we get home from full day of work, we're completely exhausted, and as if that's not enough, we have to keep going. While we may not have past masters whipping us all the time, we're still under tremendous stress to meet expectations. Our circumstances are as harsh as those Israelites slaving away, really not knowing when our pain is going to stop, when our struggle is going to stop, when our heartache is going to stop. You know, furthermore, in our Western democracy, Many believe that they have freedom. freedom. And it's <laughs> a big joke. You know, uh, you, watch, uh, you watch the news, you know, the people from Hong Kong, you know, we want free, we want freedom, right? Because they seem to envy the West because we supposedly have all the freedom. But if you would just take a microscope and just zoom in to the lives of the people here, they're not free. The reality is that a lot of people are not free. They say they're free from society's system. They're free, but they're not. They have to pay their mortgages. They have to pay for their obligation, or different obli- debt obligation. Bills, bills, bills. And you know, I was, just, I was just listening to the commercial about all the different lending company to lend you money. And it sounds like it's free money, you know, and, and I was listening to, I think it was uh, one of the news channels in the, in the, um, in the U.S. because I, I have Cyrus XM and so, you know, I can listen to some of the channels. And there was, this, there was this commercial. Come and borrow money. It's pre-approved. And get the car you deserve. You deserve. Get the house you so deserve. What they don't tell you is that after you got it, you're under stress. You got to pay them back or they're going to possess your car. There's no rest. And Christians, you know, it was for freedom that Christ had set me free. No longer a slave to the yoke of slavery. We sing that song, right? But many people are still struggling with sin. Let me tell you this. As a pastor, as a Christian for many years, I'll tell you this personally, I did not have any rest with my sin issue even as a pastor while I was preaching away but as I was preaching the devil would say I know what you did last week I know what you did this morning you yell at your wife or whatever right I didn't have wife back then but whatever right so the devil will always come in accusation that put a tremendous burden on us. And we try to be free from sin, free from sin. So I try all the rigmarole, the rules, but we all know that it may work one day, one week, one month, even a year. 
but eventually something is going to break. When we feel more pressure, whatever, boom, we're under yoke of condemnation and slavery. So what do we do? We keep braving away until we come to a full exhaustion. Some people say that's breakdown. You know, among pastors in my vocation, they say that there are so many pastors quit every Sunday all across the world. They can't handle it anymore. They had it. They quit. And some of them are actually on drugs. I mean, come on. We're supposed to preach the gospel of rest. And here we are. Christians still struggling. Friends, do you know that it is God's desire to get you and I out of that place of exhaustion, slavery, and heavy yokes so that you can enter into that promised rest? Do you know that it is this desire that you can be like Jesus? You can sleep in the middle of the storm. You know, God has not promised that he's going to take your storm away. A lot of Christians who promise you that, I tell you, they're not preaching the word of God. The Christianity that we believe in is not, you know, a, a faith that is, uh, you know, in the, in the bed of ease for the rest of our lives. You will face contention, you will face struggle, you will face challenges that challenge your faith. But if you have discovered the promised rest, I'll tell you, storm can be brewing all over, getting up, you know, devil getting upset all around you. And you'll be peaceful. Like I said last week, you know, the devil get more mad if you're peaceful in the storm. He's like, why, why can't I shake this guy? Why can't I shake this guy? Jesus slept in the middle of the storm so that you can I, you and I can do the same thing. What does rest look like? Now, in the context of Hebrews chapter 4, or the entire book of Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews, he was contending with the same thing that Paul the Apostle contending with in the book of Romans and Timothy and all the epistles. Some people say, well, Paul is the author of Hebrews. Many of the traditional theology believe that, but, you know, a lot of news discovery don't know whether it's Paul who wrote it, but regardless, it's in the Word of God. Who cares? But the writer of Hebrews, he was contending the same thing. As Paul was contending with, that is, the issues that causing great division in the church. And in chapter 4, the writer Hebrew was addressing these false doctrines of salvation and righteousness that was eating the church, causing division in the church. That is, faith in Christ is not enough. You have to add rules, you have to add laws, you have to add observance of festivity, uh, new moons and days and nights and, and, and cleaning of pots and all different things. Faith in Christ is not enough, but one must also observe the Hebraic laws and traditions from circumcision to Sabbath. False teachers of the early church would often be found coming to various church gatherings to, to, to try to teach people, no, 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 what Jesus was offering is not enough. You need to have, you need to have, you need to have law because, you know, law is, is also part of the salvation. I was, uh, I was uh, in the parking lot this morning. I usually meet with the team leads at 8.30 in the morning. So I was here pretty early. I was sitting in the parking lot checking out all my messages. And, and then I got a knock 
on my window and there was this gentleman that used to come to this church and and uh, so, he, you know, I rolled down the window, have a conversation with him. And very quickly, I, I understand that he was trying to tell me that, you know, his theology is better than mine. That's why he left this church. And, and so he's totally into observing the law and whatever. And so he said, you know, my faith involves the entire Bible as if my faith is not. He said, you guys are just focusing on the New Testament and you don't worry about that. You know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm preaching for both the New and Old Testament. I'm using the Old Testament example of the people of Israel leaving Egypt. What are you talking about? But what he's talking about is you need to observe the law on top of salvation you earn. People like that fail to recognize this. The Bible says all of the 613 laws that's out there for the Jewish people to observe, if they just violate one of them, they would be violating all of them. They could be having a circumcision, observing Sabbath, and do 99% of it, and they just violate one of them. In the eyes of God, they have violated all of them. All the circumcision went to nothing. All the pain went to nothing. The Bible says, either you observe the law, or you go all out for grace. Either you're all in for the law or you're all in for the grace and the goodness of God. Either you believe in the law or all in for the grace of God. For those people who are standing in the fence, I do law, I do grace, you know, I observe law, I observe grace. Nobody could ever explain to me why in the Old Testament you are not supposed to marry outside your tribe and outside your race. And all of a sudden it's okay because we do have a lot of interracial marriage in this church, Hello. Why is it that in the old days you cannot wear clothes that have mixture of textile? You know, you can't have cotton and polyester. Check the brand in your shirt. I bet you most of them have your shirt 45% polyester and 65% cotton. Hello? According to the Old Testament, you are sinning man. And here you want to observe all the law. That's the burden that God wants to free us from. They say, unless you fully worked out your sanctification through observing the laws, rules, and rigmarole, you are not qualified to be a child of God, and therefore you're not qualified to receive God's blessing, such as healing, salvation, and, and, and provision. This false teachers basically put the burden back on Christians that sincerely want, want to serve God. When Jesus himself had taken that burden away from us, and say it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus didn't set you free so you can come to church. I said again, Jesus didn't set you free so you can come to church. Hello. Three people excited about it. Jesus setting you free so they can truly be free. So why am I sitting here? To listen to this so that you can really be free. You don't come to church because you want free, you, you know, you want to go into another system of yoke of slavery. That's not rest. Galatians 2, 4, Paul the Apostle called this teachers of the law false brothers. False brothers who had come out to our gathering despite our freedom. What, is, what freedom is Paul talking about? Freedom from the works of law in, the, in context. Freedom from the many requirements to be right with God. Ultimately, freedom from sin and condemnation thereof. The freedom of true rest in God is what they want to rob from us.
this freedom can only be found in faith. Faith in what? Not faith in the works. You know, a lot of Christians believe more in their own works for progress than in the accomplished works of Christ. You know, working on something make you feel like you're progressing even though you may not be progressing. For example, I used to go to gym and work really hard. And in the beginning, I felt like I was progressing. A year later, I weighed the same, maybe heavier, and looked the same. It's very discouraging. It takes me a year to figure that out. It's like, why is it that I'm working out so hard? I'm still so handsomely, you know, abundant. You know, praise God. That's politically correct words. Hallelujah. You know, I get really frustrated with myself, right? But before then, I thought I was progressing. I didn't know I was not going anywhere in a hurry. Later on, of course, you learn that, you know, it's not only working out, you have to have good diet, this sort of thing, right? But needless to say that a lot of Christians are running on a treadmill, going nowhere, but they feel like they're progressing because they feel like they're working. Because working gives you the sense that you're progressing, but it's not true. There are people that work super hard and got nowhere in their lives. And there are people that just stroll into success. You know, as a pastor, I, I've seen people, a lot of people coming through the church and, and needing healing. And some people, they're very diligent, you know. They, they observe all the rules and they're just a good two-shoes. I'm not encouraging you not to be one, okay, please, okay? Don't get me wrong. That's not the point. And then they despise the people that are walking in and, and they just walk in and not even a believer. And they raise their hands up and the preacher touched them. Boom, they got healed. It's like, oh, I'm healed. Praise the Lord. You just sit there go, that's so unfair. You know the Bible, you know that Jesus healed people that cry out to him for healing. Yes. But do you know that there's some that didn't even want healing from Jesus. Jesus healed them nonetheless. Remember the guy at the pool of Bethesda? Jesus said, do you want to be healed? He didn't even answer his question. You know, blah, 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 blah. He gave all the stupid answer, right? The people, you know, there was this possession of a kid that so just died, you know. The kids didn't ask for healing. The mother didn't ask for healing. Jesus decided to lay hands and just raise him up from the dead. And some of us like, God, I'm crying out. I'm begging, 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 sweating, sweating, spitting, sweating, and nothing is happening. It's inconsistent. So works to get healing or any benefits from the Lord is inconsistent. You know, being a scientist, you have to be consistent. You know, I, you know uh, as a university student, when I first went to first university, I took life science. Regret that for the rest of my life. Super hard. And so in life science, in biology and chemistry, they have this lab. In physics, they have this lab. One of the things that irritated me the most in those years are that we have, we're supposed to bring a logbook with us. And the logbook basically is every experiment you do, even though they have the same result, you have to log you know, log the results. What you do, how many, how many millimeter of this solution you put in. It's like, you know, you can, if I had a computer, it would be cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste, right? And so they, they just, this is making, at that time, there's no such thing, right? So you have to write it down, you know. I was so annoyed. Years later, maybe when I was 40, it finally occurred to me, I'm a slow, slow learner, right? So it finally occurred to me that in science, consistency is key to prove your true results. Come on, can, yeah. If there's no consistency in whatever you claim, it's just a lie. So if your faith 
if you believe that working hard and observing laws and whatever is going to give you any more favor and sometimes it's hit and miss for you, there is an inconsistency. You need to discover the freedom and rest in Christ Jesus and give you more miracles. Can I hear an amen? So I, I just, I just, I just, you know, actually, let's just go back. I was going to digress. Okay, thank you, Jesus, for reminding me not to digress. So freedom from many requirements to be right with God, ultimately freedom from sin and condemnation thereof. That freedom is true rest in God. This freedom can only be found in faith. Faith in what? Not in the works of law, but the grace of God. Galatians 5, one. For freedom Christ has set us free, as I said. Stand firm, therefore do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Don't submit. A lot of Christians at the time, they got set free from the worldly system, worldly depression, worldly struggle. And then they come into the church and, and they got into religious bondages. Paul says, reject those. If you're coming from a place, if anybody ever want to put any religious bondage on you, you reject that in Jesus' name. You need to know that you're fully saved, fully sanctified, fully qualified. And the only way that makes you qualify is the grace of God. Nothing you can do to make it better. Come on. That's the message of the gospel. Oh, pastor, don't preach that because you're giving me, giving people permission to sin. I am not preaching permissive theology. Let me tell you this. If you truly experience the goodness of God, the grace of God, you truly experience it. It's not just an imagination. It's just not words. I'll tell you this. You don't even have to work hard. You will see amazing freedom, amazing victory in your life, victory over sin, victory over struggles. I tell you this. As a teenager, if you're in this church for long enough, you hurt me, struggle with sin. When I was a teenager, didn't understand. Go to church church guilty every Sunday because I know what I did in the weekend you know just just struggling with sin just didn't know I know I didn't want to do it and yet my body did it so like Paul says you know my body is my body's fault it's really not me it's a struggle until I understood freedom that I was completely free it's not even a fight anymore because you know why it's never my fight in the first place it was Jesus battle I'm trying to take it back. Oh, I, I, want, I want to try it out. I want to help you out. Apostle Paul tells us that we must stand firm. Everybody says stand firm. Stand firm in your freedom. Don't let anybody steal your freedom from you. Stand firm. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from religious guilt. Freedom. We also need to remove the wrong ideas about striving for God's approval and changing our mindset about how we ought to live under grace. Many sincere Christians today are living like those other religions. Generally, religions tells you work super hard to please God, hoping that if you do enough, you'll be able to earn some kind of approval and therefore the blessings, the protection, the favor. Do you know that you're not serving any other God in the world? Do you know that? Because sometimes, you know, people were just trying to normalize our faith. You know, Christian faith is like all other religion try to do good. Have you heard that before? How, how, how do you respond to that? Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. Next time when people tell you that, oh, you know, Christianity is just like all oh, the other religion. All meant to be good. Yes, I agree that, but I'm not, not trying to do good. What? Can you imagine people tell you, oh, your faith is like my faith. Oh, we're trying to be good. 
You should say, no, sorry, my faith, I'm not trying to be good. Now you'll get their attention. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? I'm not trying to earn God's love. I'm not trying to be good. I'm not trying to please anybody. That's our faith. Our faith is not like other religion, try to earn God's blessing, earn God's, God's love. Our faith is that I don't have to earn anything. It's all paid for. Everybody say it's all paid for. First Timothy 6, 12, Paul again is teaching his young protege to fight the good fight of faith. Do you realize that you have to fight it sometimes even among believers? That's why I think this book is going to create a lot of opposition against this church. But let me ask this question. What revolution does not have opposition? One person is excited, right? So if you want to join this revolution, be ready to be accused of being heretic. But you know, if you read the book, it's all scripture based. The revolution of rest. God is going to use you, use me to speak rest into the rest of the body of Christ. Well, why are you so special? I don't know. Because I am special. You are special. We are all special. Amen. Come on. <laughs> Praise God. But you know, as you begin, begin the journey of being in rest, you've got to have to fight it. Because you have opposition. You have opposition to that faith. The gospel that is outside human strife is an unusual gospel these days, even though it's a true gospel. You see, faith in the accomplished works. Everybody say accomplished. Faith in the accomplished works is done already, finished. The accomplished work of Christ must present in order for you to move to the next step of rest. You can never rest if you don't have faith in how big the grace of God is. Sometimes we have faith that God can forgive my lying. Sometimes we can have faith that God will forgive my cussing. Sometimes we have faith that God will forgive us of some slight sin. But He can't forgive me if I murder somebody. Does that mean that I'm encouraging you to go murder somebody? No. You're going to go to jail. That's called consequences. And it'll stay on you forever. It just, it just, but God can forgive you even if you've murdered somebody. You know, I met a person. You know, he, um, he, uh, I, was met, I was met him down in the U.S. And, and he, he can't come to Canada because if he could, I would invite him. And the reason is because he's a convict. And so he was a convict and he was on the run all the time. He'll tell you the story about him escaping from prison, you know. But he, he pastored a very large church today. And they uh, they one of the biggest thrift store owners in, in, in Louisiana. And, uh, you know, when I was having dinner with him, he would, he would whip up his phone and say, I'll tell you which stores make what money today, right? And the, all the money goes to finance, all the compassion operation, all love, you know, just amazing, amazing, right? And he had to absolutely believe that all his bad records in the book in the, with the government as far as God is concerned, it's not there. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to do what he did. See, if you're a convict, you can't have a passport, and therefore you can't travel, and therefore he can't come to Canada. But you know, in his mind, in his heart, he absolutely feels that he is absolutely righteous before God. And from that place, he became an amazing influencer down in Louisiana. 
You have to believe the bigness of God. How big the grace of God is to be in the place of rest.